Well, what a joy to be here with you sharing. Tomorrow at 8 o'clock, we will get into the car and with Aaron and Carrie, Lily and Jenna and Katie and Tammy and I, we will drive to Smoky Mountain National Park and have a week of vacation. Keep us in prayer. And I'll start and stop as soon as I have. Hi, Grant. But I'd like to say that to a whole bunch of you that I'm looking at. There's just, it's good to see you. I'm glad you're here. Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. We have got some beautiful, beautiful scripture to read through and consider and reflect upon. So much so that I have um, separated off first three pages of what I thought was a wonderful introduction so that we can get into the meat. But take your Bible and let's stand together. John chapter 16. We'll read from God's holy word and then I will pray. 12 and we'll stop at 16, 12 through 16. Jesus said, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said, he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. A little while and you will no longer See me, ESV says, see me, behold me. And again a little while, and you will see me. Blessed Father, thank you for the gift of thy Son. And thank you particularly for the exquisite gift of these discourses that are given to us by your servant John. We consider... John, starting really with the 13th through the 17th, deep waters with some of the most intensely practical counsel, pastoral counsel and wisdom. Father, speak. Let thy Holy Spirit breathe through this and let us, let us hear your voice, Master, proclaiming the Father's grace and glory and praise this day. In Jesus' name, amen. John 16. Our purpose today, my purpose today, is first, by way of examination, to give explanation to these opening verses. Secondly, to consider throughout, will not have a clear shifting from first to second to third gear, but we'll be moving from explanation to doctrine to explanation to application throughout 
but I have numbered them if you're taking notes. And finally, the application, I think, is intensely doctrinal, intensely practical ministry, and intensely heartfelt. Consider verse 12 of the 16th chapter. Christ acknowledges here that there was much then, indeed very much that he would like to have said to them, that he would impart to them, but they were not yet capable of comprehending it, much less even apprehending it. But he meets them with consolation, basically saying that when you have received this promised spirit of truth, Holy Spirit, then you will be entirely new men from what you are now. And in verses 13 through 15, if you just glance, there are four verbs attached to the spirit of truth, four things Christ says the spirit will do when he comes. He will guide them into all truth. He will speak what he, the spirit, hears. He will disclose what is to come, and he will glorify Jesus. On this first statement of Christ in verse 13, guide you into all the truth. Did you catch the resonance with chapter 14 that Don read? Back to chapter 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. So 1426 is roughly parallel to 1613. Guide you into all the truth, teach you all things. Very likely parallel thoughts. And the Spirit will guide you into truth teaching you. Calvin is helpful here. That same spirit had led them into all truth when they committed to writing the substance of their doctrine, the New Testament scriptures. The spirit had led them into truth when they committed to writing the substance of their doctrine, the New Testament scriptures. In fact, I'll depart. Sinclair is the first one that I heard pack it together like this, but it makes perfect sense. 1426, 1426, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I said to you. 1613, He'll guide you into all the truth and will disclose to you what is to come. In chapter 14, verse 26, last phrase, you have Christ without explicit words describing the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can't hear? Oh, can you turn me up? Okay, yeah, is that better? Okay. In chapter 14, verse 26, this phrase, bring to your remembrance all that I said to you, that's the Gospels. In 26 of 14, 
teach you all things. 16.13, guide you into all the truth. That's the epistles. 16.13, disclose to you what is to come. Revelation and the prophetic passages of the New Testament. You've got Jesus here telling the apostles that one of the primary purposes of the coming of the Holy Spirit, after he describes conviction, is to gift the church with the New Testament canon, the New Testament scriptures, Matthew through Revelation. Calvin again, whoever imagines, therefore, that anything must be added to their doctrine as if it were imperfect or half-finished, not only accuses the apostles of dishonesty, but blasphemes against the Spirit. Now that their writings may be regarded as perpetual records of that revelation which was promised and given to them, nothing can be added to them without doing grievous injury to the Holy Spirit. Calvin doesn't use this language, but theologians since have. The canon of Scripture is closed. The canon of Scripture is closed. There is no further revelation from God coming to his church. The Scriptures are full he continues, Calvin continues, if we do not wish to be ungrateful to God, let us rest satisfied that the doctrine of which the writings of the holy apostles declared them to be the authors, since in it the highest perfection of heavenly wisdom is made known to us, is fitted to make the man of God perfect. In short, Christ intended to teach that the doctrine of the Spirit would not be of this world, but that it would proceed from the secret places of the heavenly sanctuary. Hmm. I did not take time in the preparation to show this, but very quickly, if you'll look at 16, verses 13, 14, and 15. 13, 14, and 15. In the New American Standard, he uses the same word three times. Disclose, disclose, disclose. I think the uh, ESV says manifest. Is that correct? Pretty sure it says manifest. It's the same word. That word is the root word from which the word angels comes. So we're speaking of something of heavenly origin coming through the Spirit through the apostles. It's not just the writings of man. First, doctrinal insight. The sufficiency of Scripture is doctrinally foundational. The sufficiency of Scripture as we have it is doctrinally foundational. Turn to Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, first two verses, Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, 
in many portions and in many ways. And these last days has spoken to us in Son. God has spoken to mankind through what theologians call progressive revelation. So that there was a sequencing, a building precept upon precept, command upon command, understanding of God through the names by which he revealed himself upon understanding of God by the names through which he revealed himself. He spoke through Moses giving the law. He then spoke through prophet after prophet, calling the people back to him, building the Old Testament canon, the collection of 39 books. But, says Hebrews 1, in these last days has spoken, and you caught it, I trust, I did not say in his son, I did not say in the son, I said in son, because there's no pronoun there. The ESV, New American, they all supply the pronoun for you, but it's not there. There's no pronoun there. So while God spoke in many different times and ways in these last days, he has spoken to us in the category, in a, a new and final category of sonship. And if this is true, then to claim that we need new revelation is to claim that we need a new savior. And that's a word that needs to go to the Pentecostal, charismatic, spirit-filled churches. To claim that we need new revelation, Hebrews forces the conclusion we must also therefore need a new savior because sonship is the last category of revelation. So back to the statement that the sufficiency of scripture is doctrinally foundational. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. Basic foundational passage on this subject. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, declares all scripture is, and the New American says inspired, uh, ESV likewise, I think. The, the word there is the com compound word, God breathed out. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for four things, teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, complete, equipped for every good work. Here, 2 Timothy 3, is a full-orbed description of Scripture's purpose and the use of the preaching office, the teaching office, and yes, the counseling ministry that goes on in a church as well. Scripture's teachings are adequate for the child of God. Scripture's teachings equip the child of God for good work that is pleasing to the Father. Scripture provides the basis of reproof for errant patterns of 
doxas and praxis, beliefs and behaviors. Scripture provides the corrective binding up of broken lives. That word correction there is actually used in the day, first century of the medical field to bind up a broken arm. So Scripture's good for teaching. Scripture's good for reproving. Scripture's good for mending, bringing somebody back to wholeness. And Scripture provides guidance to marriages, to individuals, to, to those struggling with addictions, to be trained in the paths of righteousness. Pastoral application per the sufficiency of Scripture. Because of the doctrinal soundness of the sufficiency of Scripture, Christian men and women deny this truth for counseling by being drawn to resources of secular therapy rather than relying on God's resources. Observe that the only approach out there that believes in and operates on the basis of the sufficiency of Scripture is the biblical counseling approach. And that is what ACBC stands for, an Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. This is who Reigning Grace is. This is where Brent Campbell is coming from for our conference on the truth about porn. And our resource person for this type of biblical counseling based on the sufficiency of Scripture is Amy Santarelli. Dave, would you point to her? Yeah. She either is now certified with the ACBC or she's imminently being certified. Back to explanation. Look at verse 14, John 16. Verse 14. But observe that guiding them into all the truth is predicated upon the Holy Spirit, not speaking on his own initiative, because whatever the Spirit hears, that he will speak. That's the close of verse 13. Then verse 14 picks this up saying, He shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. So whatever truth the Holy Spirit guides the apostles into, the words the Holy Spirit speaks to and through the apostles will have come to the Spirit from Jesus. Jesus virtually says, He shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. And that is why I just said that the Spirit does not, will not speak on his own initiative. And it's fascinating to me to consider, look at chapter 12, the closing verses of chapter 12 to consider the, the parallel with Christ's words in 12, 48 through 50. Jesus says, 48 of 12, He who rejects me 
and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. Look at 49. For I did not speak on my own initiative, just out of myself. But the Father himself who sent me has given me commandment what to say and what to speak. Two different things there. I don't know what the ESV does, but there's two statements by Christ. What to say and what to speak. Verse 50. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Ooh, that's tight. That is tight. I don't say anything out of myself, on my initiative. What I say, the Father has given it to me to say. And in 16, Jesus says of the Spirit, the Spirit doesn't say anything on his own initiative. What the Spirit says, he got from Jesus. Now chapter 16, verse 15 brings this all to fullness. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he, the Spirit, takes of mine and will disclose it to you. So from the Father, through the Son, to the Spirit is the biblical pattern of revelation. Second doctrinal insight. What we are looking at here by linking Christ's words at the close of chapter 12 with these words in 1426 about the Spirit will remind you of everything I said and guide you into the truth. And 16, what we are looking at here is foundational to the doctrine of revelation. The biblical teaching on revelation not the book the concept of revelation and while the cosmos the natural world reveals to every man that there is a God who should be glorified and thanked that's Romans 1 it does not reveal that this God is the Savior the revelation of the cosmos, the universe that comes through common grace to all mankind is sufficient only for damnation. His self-revelation, necessarily sufficient for salvation, comes through the Son. So specifically per the doctrine of revelation, which is what God reveals to mankind, his self-revelation, it comes first and foundationally from God the Father. God the Son receives this from the Father because all that the Father has is his. God the Spirit then takes from the Son and reveals it to and through the apostles. And if I had a whiteboard, used to have big, 
15 foot wide. It was great. All this would be on the whiteboard. From Father to Son to Spirit to the Apostles, both oral and written, their sermons and the established canon of the New Testament. And said another way, God's self-revelation yields inspiration, which then leads to inscripturation, the scripting out of the scriptures, inspiration to inscripturation to illumination. It is the Holy Spirit breathing out sacred scripture, which he received from God the Son, who received it from God the Father. So it is the Holy Spirit who then brought about the inscripturation of the scripture by providentially overseeing the apostles' writing down of the New Testament scriptures while they were preaching the same. And so from the first century today, it is the Holy Spirit illuminating the reader, shining a light upon the pasture, the scriptures that the reader is engaging in the text, helping the hearer to understand, to comprehend, to hear the voice of the Master. So when scripture is preached via plain style expository preaching, it is the Spirit moving through the scripture with convicting power that produces guilt, shame, certainty of truth, Knowledge of forgiveness, knowledge of the love of the Father because of the Son. Thus, through the Spirit's superintendence of the Scripture, potentially the voice of the Master, the Lord Jesus Christ, is heard proclaiming the Father's name to his brethren. That's why plain style expository preaching is so important. You don't want so much to hear me as you want to hear him. Very foundational. Third doctrinal insight. What happens when you break this flow of revelation from father to son to spirit? The Western church has historically approached the doctrine of the Trinity First through the oneness of God, then to the three persons. So, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. The Eastern Church has historically approached the doctrine of the Trinity, first focusing on the three persons, three persons in one God. Asian Pentecostalism has seriously erred perceiving the Spirit of God as separate from and equal to the Son of God. And this is in part because of a, a slight misstep of approaching what does the Scripture say about the Trinity. Is it one God in three persons or God in three persons or three persons in one God? The East's approach takes first the, what can lead to the heresy of monarchialism, the monarch God, the Father, who tends to always be first. 
And then you factor in, this is a little history, but Irenaeus spoke of the two hands of God. So there's God the Father and then his two hands, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Notice the separation though. And in the Eastern Church, this has resulted in a huge movement in Asian Pentecostalism to separate the movement of the Spirit from the record of the Son. And this is the essence of Pentecostalism in no small part. There is an emphasis away from the written scriptures of the New Testament toward contemporary spirit revelation. Now, just to pause, and this may be for the one thinking deeper. What else is involved? Is it one God in three persons or three persons in one God? I think it's very critical. And one of the primary, aside from the way this has played out historically, theologically, that I've just spoken of, how did God do it? Progressive revelation. How did God reveal himself? Did he come as three persons first? No, he established the Lord. The Lord God is one. And you have all of the Old Testament emphasizing the oneness of God. And then Jesus comes. And the disciples are recognizing this man in the river. He's God. But I heard God speak. Now you've got this. Then you come to John and suddenly the Holy Spirit. So the movement of God is on the oneness of God leading progressively to an understanding of in three persons. Suffice me to quote Calvin. For as soon as the Spirit is separated from the word of Christ, as soon as you separate the Spirit from the text, the door is open to all kinds of delusions and impostures, in which some contrive a new theology that would consist of revelations. Calvin further asserts, the office of the Holy Spirit was nothing else than to establish the kingdom of Christ and to maintain and confirm forever all that was given him by the Father. So a denomination or church that camps on the Holy Spirit will inevitably turn away from the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints in the pages of the New Testament in order to embrace new contemporary revelation from the Spirit which typically focuses upon the felt needs and concerns of the one praying. This is the systemic and intrinsic flaw of the charismatic Pentecostal movement. It elevates revelation from the Holy Spirit while inevitably neglecting vigorous Bible study and exposition. That was an important statement. It elevates revelation from the Spirit while neglecting vigorous biblical study and exposition. That's sound. Sufficient are Christ's words. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, he, he says, 
in this in 14. He, the Spirit of truth, shall glorify me. For he shall take of mine and disclose it to you. The Spirit's purpose in redemption is to glorify the Son, not himself. That is huge. The Spirit's purpose is to glorify Jesus, not himself. Explanation, verse 16. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. That's the ESV. New American, a little while and you will no longer behold me. And again, a little while and you will see me. The ESV's use of the same word to translate two very different words here is unfortunate. Jesus' first phrase says, a little while and you will no longer theoreo me. Now there's a reason for me to tell you the Greek. A little while and you will no longer theoreo me. But his second phrase says, a little while and you will horao me. Different. The first word is a Greek word, theoreo, which means to, to gaze upon, to, to behold, to be a spectator watching. In fact, this Greek word is the root word behind our word, theater, as in movie theater. Christ is saying, I've been on display for you to behold, to gaze upon like a spectator in a theater, but very soon I'll not be on display anymore. Because in a little while you will horao me. Horao, which means to properly see, to see with discernment, to see with the mind. In fact, this was marvelous when I saw this. This word comes from the root word, listen to it carefully, optonomai, from which we get our word optometrist. <laughs> optometrist, optonomai. So the concept is, I'm not going to be on stage any longer, but you're going to have much better vision. I can remember what seems like ages ago. I was in the third grade, so you do the calculation. Coming out of the building, my mother had taken my younger brother and I to the eye doctor. And I came out with my first pair of glasses. I'd never had glasses before. And I remember walking on the sidewalk, and I looked up, and I said, I can see the top of the buildings. It was amazing, the clarity of vision. And these now are as much a part of my face as my nose is. That's what Christ is saying here. In a little while, while I'll not be on the theater stage as I have been, you will yet gaze upon me with your eyes wide open. Calvin describes this word to mean, quote, 
to perceive his invisible presence among them by his influence upon their souls through the Holy Spirit. John 1.51, Jesus uses the same word. He said to Nathan, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see optometrist, hora'o. You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So while the child of God does not have Jesus on the theater stage on display today, yet the Master says the child of God sees with far better clarity, far better vision, the Son of God, the man Jesus Christ, who is praying for you and who says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Final application. First, embrace the sufficiency of Scripture. You may not have studied it out. I've given you two primary texts that teach it, uh, besides John 14 and 16. Embrace the sufficiency of Scripture by your faithful reading of sacred Scripture. Listen, if I'm reading all kinds of self-help books, but I'm not in the text of Scripture, I don't believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. Read through a gospel continuously. That is, to see the Master, to watch the Master, to listen to the Master. Through the Psalms continuously. And pray as you read, asking the Spirit of Truth to illuminate your understanding. Seek Jesus in the text of Scripture. Master, show, me so, show yourself to me in this passage that I'm reading. What do I learn about you here today, Master? Embrace the sufficiency of Scripture. Second, if you need help with emotional, relational struggles or difficulties, do not turn to secular therapy. It is what it says. It's just the thoughts of man. Why would you turn to man or man's thoughts about man when you can turn to the resources of the Almighty? We have a biblical counselor in the person of Amy as well as biblical counselors that we have accessed for several years through Reigning Grace, which is where Brent Campbell, September 24 and 5, is from. Third, who is Jesus to you? Is he an actor on a stage? Or is he the glorious manifestation of love in the man that you see with eyes wide open in wonderment, tears of joy and love? Samuel Rutherford wrote words that have and still do incredibly speak to my heart. Oh, how sweet to be holy Christ and holy in Christ, to dwell in Emmanuel's high and blessed land, and to live in that sweetest of air, 
where no wind bloweth but the breathings of the Holy Spirit. No seas or floods flow but the pure water of life that flows from under the throne and from the Lamb and the tree of life that yields twelve kinds of fruit every month. And what do we have here but sin and suffering? Oh, when shall the night be gone, the shadows flee away, and the morning of the long, long day without cloud or night dawn? Can you say, I am in sweet communion with Christ as a poor sinner and am only pained that he has such radiant beauty and fairness and I so smallness of love? He omnipotent power to save and I so little faith. He, the light of the world, the light of God, shining in darkness, and I, bleary, tear-stained eyes because of my troubles. Brethren, I have, but am learning to believe Christ better than his providential strokes. That's what that is. A providential stroke. I trust him. I love him. And am entirely content. Deep within. With his dealings with me. Diagnosed with ALS last November, I've never walked closer with my blessed Savior than I do today. So I'm thankful. I find Christ to be God's anointed Son by the Holy Spirit, and He is far more infinitely more precious than all of this stuff. And that is all our joy eternally. Sinners can do nothing but make wounds that Christ may heal them. <laughs> make falls that Christ may raise them. Make deaths that Christ may quicken, enliven them. Dig hells to themselves that Christ may ransom them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord Jesus Christ is good. That's what he means in 16, a little while, and you will, as an optometrist, you will hurrah me. And the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Do you thirst for the water of life from the blessed Savior's hand? Come. Come, my friend. He is calling you. Let us pray.
Blessed, blessed, blessed Lord Jesus. How we love you. How we are amazed at your grace. Amazed at your love. <laughs> As was asked me, O oh Lord, by dear sister in Christ, how come he loved us? O oh Lord, it baffles us. But we know that you do. And we know through the gift of your Son you've demonstrated this empirically to us. And now, though they didn't get it, by you ascending on high and pouring out your Spirit, now we see thee. Now we see thee. And we praise you and thank you that you love us and have loved us. Master, touch the one who's hurting. Touch the one who's struggling relationally. Struggling with faith. With doubt. Fears. Anxiety. Touch the one who's embracing a root of bitterness. Oh Jesus, show yourself more sweet than all of that. We love you. And we come, Lord Jesus, we come. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.